0: Okay, today I'm actually going to take uh, a break from our series on the Lord's Prayer. Given uh, given the events of this past week, uh, particularly the Supreme Court ruling on Friday, I thought it would be wise and good uh, for us to know where we stand as a church, and this is not uh Simply where I stand as your pastor, and not simply where your elders stand as those uh, whom God has appointed to lead the church. It's where our denomination stands. Uh, this church is close to a. This church by itself is close to a hundred years old, and uh, it's where we've stood, as far as I know, for going on a century. Um, and historically it's where whichever branch of conservative church you want to, to talk about before nineteen before the nineteen fifties, whether Protestant, Roman Catholic, or Greek Orthodox, it's where they have all stood on the issue of homosexuality. And so we are going to we're going to talk about that today. Um, and so I want to do that. I want to do that carefully. I know that uh, I know that there would be differing opinions even in this even in a room this small that, that there may be among us people who differ in their opinion on this matter and that's and that's okay. Um, differing opinions are, are just that. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen, he says, all Scripture, so not part, not just some places and not others, but all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means, means that the, the people who wrote the Scriptures, God breathed into them His truth by the Holy Spirit so that they would communicate His will to us. And so actually, in some ways, I'm actually continuing the lord's prayer service because the sermons because the the next prayer that we are looking at is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to we're going to actually apply that prayer to this particular I- issue today because this is a this is a matter of discerning what is god's will. What is god's will? And so the way we learn that is right in the so paul says all scripture all scripture is breathed out by god. And is useful for teaching, so telling us what it means, how, what it looks like for us to live and follow God, for reproof. And that's kind of an odd word we don't use much anymore, but that word reproof means to expose sin. So that means one of the functions of the Bible is that it actually exposes our sin, and that's not comfortable. That's not pleasant. We don't like being exposed. But here's the next thing for teaching for reproof and for correction right our sins are not exposed our dirty laundry is not aired simply to shame us and wag the finger right when scripture when god himself exposes our sin he does so to correct it right that you know if you if you live in a house where all the if you built your house out of plumb right if you didn't use a plumb line right and that means that the walls don't go straight up and down they lean and it's usually not a good idea to leave in a, live in a house where all the walls are leaning okay that's not a very stable house and so when you hear when you hear Paul say that one of the functions of scripture is that it corrects i want you to i want you to envision right the leaning wall corrected right brought back into the stable line that it's meant to be in so all Scripture is breathed out by God for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be equipped, may be competent, equipped for every good work. So when we're going to ask the question, how do, we, how do we respond to homosexuality? What do we do with that um, as Christian, as thinking Christian people? If that is what you are, then the place you must go is to the Bible itself. That is where God has revealed his will. That is where we learn it. Now, if you are not a Christian, um, then you may not put much stock in what the Bible says, but it's still beneficial for you to hear this because you know you are about to hear what it is that the Bible teaches on the subject, and not just that, but how we are to live in response. Because this isn't, this isn't just like a textbook. Okay, um, not only does it, it, it doesn't just give information, but it, it pertains to how to live, right? How, how, do, how do those who follow Jesus live in this world? And so uh, some of you aren't going to get any new information. This is, this is something we covered in Sunday school last summer. Um, but if you weren't a, in that class or a part of that class, then hopefully this will be beneficial, uh, beneficial to you. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you haven't already turned there, and so that you have some concept of what's going on when Paul says what he says here, uh, Paul, a follower of Jesus, is writing to this church in the city of Corinth, and Corinth had a lot of issues, which every church does, right? Uh, Corinth was was kind of a highly dysfunctional place, and so There are several things that Paul has to address, and his point in the section that we're going to read is, if you are a part of the church, then your living must be consistent with your message. If this is who you claim to be, and I think it's who you are, Paul is very gracious with them. He calls them saints, okay? So he gives them the benefit of the doubt, which oftentimes we don't do. Paul gives these very... These very dysfunctional believers, the benefit of the doubt, he calls them saints and he says, but if you are saints, then your living must be consistent. And that's the context in which Paul says what I'm about to read in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Women are covered in Romans, in Romans 1, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God let's pray Lord as we delve into a very inflammatory uh, a very inflammatory topic God I ask that you would that you would be gracious to us as we as we see what you have to say in your word on the matter, Lord. That more light than heat would be generated, and above all, that we would see Jesus. Uh, that we would see that we would see our Savior's face, and the grace that is available for us, sinners though we are. So, Lord, would you bless the reading, hearing, and the preaching of your holy word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, there, there are basically two, two points I'm going I'm to make. And the first one is this. That homosexuality, according to the Bible, is a sin. Alright, that is the... From, from beginning to end, if, you, if you're going to take the Scriptures seriously and not try to play games with the words, you can come away with no other conclusion that, according to the Bible, homosexuality is a sin. Now, let me define sin. Sin is an act of rebellion against the God who created us. That's what sin is, and it includes thoughts, feelings, acts, actions, right? Right? Sin is rebellion against the God who created us. Okay? So in this area in particular, the first place the first place I want to go and I want you to go there with me is if you want to keep your keep your hand in 1 Corinthians, hold that place and go all the way back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1:27 1, and 28. And if you're familiar with the Bible, Genesis 1 is the creation story. And here's what you see in Genesis 1. God is bringing together all of these different parts, heaven and earth, sky and sea, right, land and water. He's bringing together all of these different things and creating life and flourishing, even God and man, okay, so all of these differences are coming together in Genesis 1 at God's command to create life, to create flourishing. And this is what we see on, on the last day, on the sixth day of his creation. Genesis 1, 27. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay. So what you see right off the bat here is God's created design. Male and female together consist of, they they make up the image of God. And the blessing given to them is be fruitful and multiply. Okay. Subdue the earth. So they have their marching orders. And then one more verse I'll look at, Genesis two twenty four. In Genesis 2, you have, a, you have a more detailed account of the creation of man and woman. And here, woman is presented to man for the first time. And it says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so here's the, here's the essence of the created design. Difference creates life, all right? Man and woman together become one flesh, and out of that one flesh... Comes life, be fruitful and multiply. That's the design of creation. So, but I want, what, I, what I want you to notice, for the sake of this sermon, is that is that God's design is not is not sameness, but difference. It's actually diversity, right? That that the beauty of Genesis two is that man by himself is alone, and God says he's not good, and so God says. So when God says, it's not good that man should be alone, I'll make a helper fit for him. He does not make another man. He does not make... he, he the, the animals don't suffice, okay? The only thing that completes man is woman, right? That is... God designs a special partner for man to make up exactly what he is lacking. That's the beauty of Genesis 2, that in that difference, in that difference coming together, life is created. Okay? That, that humans flourish when the difference comes together. Right? So it's, they, they complement one another, and that produces life. Okay? you can also go to this book that might be a little bit trickier to find leviticus and what i'm doing here is i'm just showing you that kind of through the bible how how the bible views this sin in particular and we're going to talk about we don't if you're getting angry already don't uh, don't give up just yet but but listen leviticus 18:22 Leviticus is Israel's law book, and so it's how, it's how their nation was to be structured, the laws they were to live by, as given by God. Leviticus eighteen twenty-two: you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination, and that word abomination means it's an activity that is offensive to God. Okay, and, it's, and that word, abomination, is used of more than just this particular sin. But this particular sin, homosexuality, falls into that category. It is offensive to God. And just to kind of give you a frame of reference, uh, I hope this isn't too graphic, but verse 23, And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. So you see the category that these sins are counted under. Leviticus twenty thirteen. Just re- repetition. If a man lies with a man as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Okay. So it is not accurate to say the Bible doesn't address this issue. It very clearly addresses this issue. Um, Now, what you might try to say then is, well, but that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't apply anymore. I thought you might say that. Romans 1. And I read this simply to make the point that... um, That it's not just in the Old Testament, but also that the the, the witness of the New Testament is the same. Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let me pause right there. What Paul is saying is that because because sinful man, because our eyes are darkened, we turn away from God and begin to worship other things, okay? And as we do that, Paul is about to go on and say, because we do that, God gives us up to those desires, right? So <clears throat> it's a very scary thing, but God basically says, if that's what you want to pursue, then have at it. And he, he often hands people over into into the very sin that is destroying them, okay? And so, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen." For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Um, and, and I'm just gonna—I'll stop right there. Just. I just read that to point out that that's not a very favor. The New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. It does not give a favorable description of homosexuality. In fact, Paul gives Paul gives that very sin as an example of what it looks like for people to be handed over into their sin, which is a very scary thing. Okay, Uh, and. What's interesting is if you go on, you know what, I will go on and read it because I think it's important. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, Now, in reading that, what I want you to see is that homosexuality, just like here in 1 Corinthians, also in Romans 1, is just is one on a list, okay? That all of those things, right, that when we are handed over to our sin, we actually become less and less like we are meant to be, less and less like we are made to be, and more and more inhuman. Hence, all of those things that you read about being boastful, haughty, slanderers, uh, haters, okay, and so the Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin, but it's also important to say that it's not the only sin. Because I think some of us can act that way, right? That 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 some that some Christians have been guilty of placing this particular sin in a class all by itself and saying. And saying, this is the sin that leads to death, right? That, this, that somehow this is the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. And that's not true. But that when Paul, right here in 1 Corinthians 6, if you want to go back to that, reads his list, when he gives the list of people who will not inherit the kingdom, right, it's, just, it's, it's a long list. Who won't inherit the kingdom? Sexually immoral, idolaters, so people who worship Anything other than God Himself, adulterers, and by the way, Jesus Jesus clarifies this for us in Matthew five. He says, "If you've ever lusted in your heart after another person, you've committed adultery." Okay, so it's not just the outward act, but also the inward heart, uh, which think, uh, which I think would broaden the net. Nor adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves don't inherit the kingdom. Greedy, anyone in here ever greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, so not verbally abusive people, won't inherit the kingdom, those who seek to destroy others with their words, nor swindlers, right? people who extort others out of their money, none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. All of those and more are acts of rebellion against the God who created us. Sin will keep you out of the kingdom, right? And so homosexuality is not the only sin. It just so happens that it's the popular one at the moment. And it's the one that has been legalized by our government. But it's not the first sin to be legalized by our government. And so we also have to realize that the law of God and the law of the land are going to differ. And where they do, we have an obligation to follow the law of God and not the law of the land. And that, And that won't always be pleasant. In fact, more often than not throughout history, we've been on the wrong side of the law and we're there again but we but we but, but Christians hold to a to a different law and that and that may mean unpleasant consequences from the law of the land and in that case the bible is clear too count it all joy brothers when you suffer trials of various kinds right we we serve the king and we live in the kingdom not the country so it's not the only sin all sin is an act of rebellion so if we believe that the bible is from god and it's true and it has authority for how we are designed to live then we don't really, there's no there's no wiggle room here we have to we have to declare that homosexuality is a sin and that we and we cannot rejoice over Friday's verdict. We cannot... If you take the Bible seriously, you cannot, you cannot be happy with that. But here's why. Because sometimes those holding the Bible's viewpoint are painted as haters who don't want people to be happy. We're painted as bigots. And I said this in Sunday school, and so I, you know... I'll say it again, if your reason for being against homosexuality is sheer bigotry because it disgusts you, then my friend, your reason is not good enough. In fact, your reason is itself a sin, and it is called pride, and it is actually the root of all sin, and you too must repent, because if you live in and are identified with your pride, you, too, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bigotry is not what we are called to. We are not haters. Peter Hubbard, in his book, Love Into the Light, the gospel of the homosexual in the church, a good book worth reading, says this, If our attitude toward a gay or lesbian person is discussed, then we have forgotten the gospel. We need to remember the goodness and loving kindness that God poured out on us. God should have looked at us and been disgusted. Instead, without condoning our sin, he loved us and saved us. And I want everyone to know that kind of love. So, the reason we are against this particular sin is the same reason we are against swindling, Gossip, verbal abuse, adultery, rage, pride. Because if I live in those, and if I'm identified with those, and all of the and those things, if, if I use sin to define my life, then I will miss God, and I will miss His joy. If I follow my desires, in order to achieve a lesser happiness, then I will miss the greatest happiness. God himself. And I don't want that. I don't want that for myself. I don't want it for my children. I don't want it for my wife. And I don't want it for you. That's why we stand against sin. We don't stand against sin because we are better. We stand against sin because it ruins people's life. It ruins my own life. And it leaves people out of the kingdom. And I don't want that. And so when someone says, don't you want me to be happy? Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. But I don't want you to pursue a happiness that will end in your ruin. I want you to pursue a happiness that will have you living forever, experiencing joy you cannot even imagine. That's why we stand against sin. That's why homosexuality is a sin like any other, but it's a sin we stand against because we don't want to live for lesser joys. I don't want me to do that, and I don't want you to do that. So I want, I want us to be firm in what we understand to be sin and why we understand it to be so. We want greater joy, not just for ourselves, but for our, but everyone we come in contact with. So point number one, the position of our church is, we, that homosexuality is a sin. We can call it that plainly and faithfully to the Scriptures. And here's the second point. The remedy for sin is the gospel. Heterosexuality is not the remedy for sin. It does not reverse the curse. The only thing that reverses the curse is Jesus. Focus on two words in First Corinthians six eleven. Paul says, such were some of you. Let's focus on the you. Such were some of you. No one, come, no one who comes to Christ can say, I'm not really all that bad. No one can come to Christ in view of the full law of God and say, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'll be okay. Because if you come to Christ saying that, there is no salvation for you. When when Jesus was attacked for spending time with sinners, Mark 2, he says, right, and by sinners, I mean everybody that the religious leaders didn't like, that didn't follow the rules. Jesus says, this is who I came for. I did not come to call the righteous. I came for sinners. I didn't come for people who thought they had no problems. I came... For crooked, messed up people in need of a Savior. So this list that I read in 1 Corinthians, that, this list may not get you, but I bet there's probably another list in the Bible that will. Right? Read through the Ten Commandments. Read through that list at the end of Romans 1. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. See, that it, see if you can escape any of those law words, see if you can escape that feeling not guilty. See if you can escape that and say of yourself, not guilty. You can't. Because as Paul says, such were some of you. Now let's focus on the other word. Such were some of you. Paul says, this is in the past tense. A drunkard is what you were an adulterer is what you were a thief is what you were a homosexual is what you were and what he's saying is in Christ you are not defined by your sin anymore and that's I mean that's that's really that's really the hope of the gospel which is why when people say to me no 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 this is this is my orientation. This is my identity. I want to say, is there a hope in that? Is there, is there a hope for you in the fact that, that this particular pattern of life, that your sexuality is your identity? You can't break out of that. That's you forever? No, friend. That's not you. If you are in Christ, He is your identity identity, right? What is it that defines, so Paul says, such were some of you, such were some of you. What is it that defines you now? The work of Jesus. Keep reading in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, renewed, made clean. You were sanctified, being made holy, molded, shaped into perfection by the work of Of the Holy Spirit, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were were justified. You were declared not guilty. You are guilty, but you are declared not guilty by the free grace of Christ alone. So you can say, That's not me anymore. I've been washed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified. And so the position of our church is and always has been and, Lord willing, always will be that we are against sin in all its forms. We are against sin because sin grieves God and because sin kills our joy. It promises joy, but it never delivers. And so we are a community of people who hate our sin, repent of our sin, and fight our sin because we want joy. But then also... We know that the only way to deal with sin is with the good news that Jesus Christ died to save and transform and redeem sinners. So when we go to a watching world and we say, you're wrong, we're also saying, you're loved. And we must say both. We must offer the hope of redemption in the face of debilitating sin or we're not giving people the whole whole truth. We bring the truth of what we have done wrong and we bring the truth of what Jesus has done right and how he will make the world a good and wholesome place where the will of God is done. So, I close with this. For for all who struggle in sin, whether homosexual or otherwise, Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that what you want? Let's pray. Father, we, we live in what appear to be trying times. But in one regard, this is the way that it has always been. Since the fall, righteousness and goodness have not been prized. And sin and evil have run rampant. And so our day, in that regard, is no different from any other in human history. Lord, we do not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we can say with confidence that this is your world. And that, oh, the wrong seems off so strong, you are the ruler yet. And not only are we confident in that, but we can rejoice with sobriety, but we can rejoice and open our arms because we bear a message of hope that your sexuality, however bent and broken, does not have the last word. That my sinful desires to steal, to boast, to be proud, do not have the last word rejoice that love did not win on Friday, it won at Calvary, and it won when Jesus walked out of the empty tomb, and it will win when he returns. Oh Lord, we long for that day, and while we long for it, we preach the gospel and we live faithfully. God, give us the grace and the strength to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.